This week on Geeksplained, to celebrate his big screen debut this week in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, we're taking a deep dive, see what I did there, into the comic book history of Marvel's Defender of the Deep. So join me as I Geeksplain Namor. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Kazana, and today's episode is all about Namor! As of this recording, we are uh, about a few days from the release of Black Panther Wakanda Forever. As you are listening to this, it debuts this Friday, or if you're listening to this in the future, hello, future people. How is Black Panther Wakanda Forever? I'm pretty sure it's going to be amazing. But we are going to be taking the time this week to geeksplain Namor, his character, uh, his personal history, and also talk about some comics to check out if you're interested in learning more about the character and catching up on his comic exploits. Namor has been around since the very beginning. He made his debut in Marvel Comics number one back in 1939, so there is a lot of history to cover, and he has been through the ringer for years and years and years and years. It was really fun to go back and do the research for this one because Namor is not a character that I'm especially fond of or a character that I really have any kind of leaning towards either way. But going back and doing the research for this and learning more about the character was Incredible. So I'm excited to share that with you right before Tanakh Huerta makes his debut as Namor in this uh, Wakanda Forever film. Super excited to share that with you. We have, of course, also uh, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll be chatting you up about all the comics you should be checking out this week. And trust me, there are a lot of great comics, so make sure you stay tuned for that after the jump. But for now, let's roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I geeksplain Namor. Who are you? My enemies call me Namor. The year was 2007. I remember it well. I was in high school, and I was starting to really branch out in my love for comic books and comic book characters. I had my comfort characters, my Superman, my Captain America, my Batman, my Spider-Man, but I really wanted to learn more about the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe. I want to learn more about characters that I maybe wasn't as familiar with in my young comic book fandom. And so I picked up a game called Marvel Ultimate Alliance. And this, I think, is a great way to introduce people to the wider Marvel Universe. It was for me, at least, because the game in itself is almost like an encyclopedia of the, at the time, modern Marvel Universe with character bios, with collectibles and knickknacks that give you more information as the 
uh, game progresses. And throughout the game, it's basically a tour of the Marvel Universe. You go from location to location, New York to Latveria, everywhere in between. And there is one level where you go to Atlantis. And arriving at Atlantis, we found it under siege. And specifically, they were being attacked by a duo named Atuma and Tiger Shark. And as we were told, they had taken prisoner the king of Atlantis, a man named Namor. And as I progressed through the Atlantis level, I found myself face-to-face with this imprisoned monarch. And once freed, I suddenly had a core memory unlocked. And I was transported backwards in time to me as a little kid, watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends, where I was first introduced to Namor. I didn't remember this. I was a small child watching a cartoon you don't really carry that information with you but I looked at him and I recognized him I was like oh I know this design I know this character and the more that I learned about him the more I realized oh he's a dick Around that same year, I was watching the show uh, Fantastic Four World's Greatest Heroes. And if, if you've never watched it, it's incredible. Go watch it. It's basically Fantastic Four the anime. And in that series, once again, I ran into Namor, who had once again been ousted from his throne by Atuma. And as I became more familiar with the Marvel Universe, the more I became familiar with comic books and the characters contained within, the more I grew to kind of enjoy Namor as a character. I was never, and I will say, you know, unequivocally, I was never a Namor guy. I was never like, oh, Namor is in the top 10, top 20, top 50 even comic book characters. But I always kind of respected the dickish uh, demeanor that Namor carried with him. He was always about him and about his people, and that's about it. And so getting that that character down anytime he popped up in a story you knew what to expect from him he's probably one of the most consistent comic book characters throughout every decade since he was created he's never to my knowledge in my reading has never really had an out of character moment where i thought oh that's a weird thing for namor to do and if it did seem that way, like in one recent story that we'll get into later on, it was explained why he was acting a certain way. But Namor is one of those characters that is like an oak. He's unmoving, he is set in his ways, and no one will be able to talk him out of them. And I've always kind of appreciated that about Namor. And as he has now made his transition from the comic book page to the silver screen, we are taking the time in this week to geek-splain the character, his origins, his backstory, and talk to you about some of the comics that I think you should check out if you're interested in learning more about the character. Now, Namor's fascinating. Namor is 
obviously the king of Atlantis, though he didn't start off that way. And he is Marvel's very first mutant. You can look at in-universe chronologically, like, oh, it's Apocalypse and Wolverine and all this stuff. But Namor was one of the very first characters ever created by Marvel Comics. It was him, Human Torch, the original Human Torch, and I believe, like, Kazar and the Master Raider were, like, the original characters in Marvel Comics number one in 1939. And he has been a stalwart for Marvel Comics since then. He's not always pushed towards the forefront. In fact, he is very seldom pushed into a position where he is front and center, the main guy, the main threat. But when he is pushed forward, he always delivers. So we're going to take the time to talk about this character that I've never loved, but I've always respected. And uh, hopefully by the end of this, you'll come away with a greater understanding of Namor and you will be able to read some comics that will uh, let you know what this guy's all about. So let's go ahead and get into this. First off, let's do this quick character profile. Namor McKenzie, that's right, his name is Namor McKenzie, has been also known as the Submariner, the First, the Avenging Sun, the King of Atlantis, the Phoenix King, Imperius Rex, the Supreme Commander of the Undersea Legions, and Old Man. His first appearance was Marvel was in Marvel Comics number one way back in October of 1939, and he was created by Bill Everett. It's not very often, especially nowadays, when you go through a character profile like this to find just one person as the sole creator of this character. So I think it's really interesting and kind of emblematic of the time that he was created in, that it's just one guy who is credited with his creation. Uh, his team affiliations include the All-Winner Squad, the Invaders, the Avengers, the Cabal, the Dark X-Men, the Defenders, Fantastic Four, the Heroes for Hire, the Order, the X-Men, the Phoenix Five, and the Illuminati. His powers and abilities include mutant and... Atlantean physiology, which means he has amphibious adaptation. He can breathe, swim, and communicate underwater. Uh, he doesn't have to come up for air, but he is able to breathe both air and through uh, and underwater as well. He has superhuman strength, speed, stamina, agility, and reflexes. He has aquatic healing, so if he suffers any damage, all he has to do is take a dip in some water, and over time, it will heal itself. He has aquatic telepathy, allowing him to communicate with animals, not unlike his DC counter part Aquaman, who's created long after him. Uh, he's able to absorb radiation to a certain extent. He has extended longevity. He's been around for a very long time and has not aged a day. Uh, he has enhanced senses, including augmented vision and super hearing. He has flight, atmokinesis, which means he can... Uh, has a he has a limited control over weather weather patterns not unlike storm he has hydrokinesis so he can manipulate water and he is an expert combatant and tactician now i know what you're thinking after getting that rundown with the abilities he sounds op as hell and i get it he absolutely does but he also has some very distinct weaknesses including water deficiency if he is away from water for too long he begins to lose strength incrementally until he is sapped of all of his strengths uh he has an oxygen imbalance which can mess depending on the rider and the situation can either mess with his equilibrium his uh his ability to think and react in combat. Uh, dehydration is a big problem for him. And if he is 
if he comes into contact with any kind of pollution within the water, that will also negatively impact him. His biggest thing that gets him in, into trouble, though, is his uncontrollable rage. It's never been... I don't believe it's ever been distinctly uh, diagnosed as bipolar syndrome, though it has been referred to as such in the comic books. He has this uncontrollable rage. He can flip a switch on a dime, go from completely calm to maddening warrior rage. And he does this a lot and is uh, known to be a little uh, quick on the trigger when it comes to turning a situation from uh, diplomatic into explosive. Uh, his equipment includes the Horn of Proteus, with which he's able to call krakens and all sorts of other uh, mythological sea creatures. The Serpent Crown, and oh boy, we're going to be talking about the Serpent Crown. And his main weapon is Neptune's Trident. Now, as we're getting into his history, I want to put out a quick disclaimer. Uh, Namor has been around for a long time, and in that, there have been several, several different accounts of his origin. Uh, his... Origin differs depending on who's telling the story and his temperament uh, on telling the story. Namor himself has recounted his origins at least three times, and they've all been different. So it's dependent on the situation, dependent on what the writer needs. But there is a pretty clear through line that can kind of thread the needle between all the differing accounts. So I'm going to be trying to stick to that as much as possible. And also, Namor's been around for a really long time, and Marvel really hasn't had a hard reboot. So there's a lot to cover. So just bear with me. We've got a lot to talk about. So let's go ahead and dive into it. Uh, his origin does not start with Namor himself, and it doesn't even start in the modern day. It starts way back in 1915, where an explorer by the name of Ernest Shackleton was sent by Winston Churchill to obtain a material that was still only whispered about a material that seemed to be the strongest on earth that could not be broken this material of course was vibranium ernest shackleton had a submarine sent to a location that they believed would be a gold mine for vibranium however his vessel was lost five years later explorer leonard mckenzie was uh to pilot a let's say, experimental craft called the Oracle alongside telepath Paul Destine to try and unearth Shackleton's uh, submarine and try to figure out how he got lost in the first place. And during their underwater exploration, Mackenzie and Destine discovered Atlantis. The city underneath the water fabled and at this point thought to be a myth they stumbled upon this city and though they were not really looking to explore or come into contact with the inhabitants of this city uh, the explosive charges that they used to escape through some of the ice and to make their way through some of the ice because they were near the arctic region unfortunately caused some collateral damage to the city, including deaths of several citizens. In response, Princess Fen of the royal family of Atlantis made her way from her, the safety of her city and infiltrated the Oracle as a stowaway. Intent on infiltrating the craft, finding out what these invaders were trying to accomplish, and then 
hopefully, would be able to make her way back to her people so that they would be well informed before they decided to strike back. However, during her time aboard the Oracle, she and Mackenzie fell in love and ultimately got married upon the uh, upon the craft in witness of the crew. This would have been the end of the story for them. However, Atlantis got a little antsy. And they decided to send a search party to look for Princess Fen, as they had not heard from her, and sending a spy into hostile territory and not hearing back from them usually isn't a good sign. This Atlantean search party raided the Oracle, gunned down the entire crew, including Leonard Mackenzie, seemingly killing him, and they reclaimed Fen. Now, Fen, uh, after being brought back to Atlantis, was revealed to be with child, and her father, the king of Atlantis, Emperor Thakor, decided to name him Namor, meaning Avenging Son, with the intent that the title that he is bestowing upon him, this name, would be emblematic of what he would accomplish when he grew of age because the core now having had contact with the uh with land dwellers and the non undersea denizens of the world was intent on making them pay for their crimes namor grew up in atlantis and spent most of his childhood with his cousins namora and bira alongside his best friend marano and it was during this time in atlantis that he began to discover that he had superhuman abilities far beyond the normal capabilities of an atlantean he for instance grew wings on his ankles which is not normal atlantean physiology he also found that he had super strength super hearing and once above the water, found himself able to fly. He got his first taste of the surface world by coming into contact with one Sandy Pierce, who was a the daughter of an oil magnate. And in his teenage years, he was at one point uh, recruited by her father to try and expand his oil... Uh, his oil efforts into Atlantis because, of course, they had a lot of oil. This ended in tragedy, and unfortunately, even though Namor and Sandy ended up leaving her father together, we never heard from Sandy again. Uh, During his adolescence, Namor came into contact with Atama as he and the... We'll, we'll say the uh, honor guard of Atlantis made a duplica- diplomatic mission to the capital of the Chasm people, a sectionalized uh, group of people who had, not unlike the Wakandans above the water, taken themselves away from the other kingdoms underneath the sea and had decided to separate themselves for reasons that were not immediately clear. Uh, During this initial diplomatic meeting, uh, the Black Tide attacked. The Black Tide was originally a group of... It was basically like the uh, the underwater Avengers who had been manipulated and cursed into becoming these monsters that attacked the capital of the Chasm people, slaughtering many, including King Atakar, Atama's father. Atama, in response to this, declared war on Namor and Atlantis for weakening him and his people, and thus started the rivalry that would last through all of Namor's life up until the modern day. 
Unfortunately, this was not the only war that he would have to contend with, because while uh, trying to test out his capabilities when it came to his flight, Namor came into contact with a flying machine, unlike any he had seen before, and it fired on him, because there's a flying guy with wings on his ankles, why wouldn't you? After taking down this, uh, this enemy plane, he found that it bared an interesting symbol, that being of the Nazis. That's right, Namor was the first to strike against the Nazis, downing a Nazi fighter plane, and when he brought the uh, remains of the craft back to Atlantis, unknowingly he had painted a target on his city. The Nazis began targeting Atlantis with controlled attacks, with uh, trying to manipulate and politic their way into the city as well as just directly trying to bomb the city with their submarines and due to this namor began to take his job as protector and avenging son of atlantis a little bit more literally he began pursuing nazis as well as at one point making his way to new york and Really not understanding how surface dwellers worked up there, he began clashing with not just Nazi troops, but also with American troops on the scene. And this is when he first encountered policewoman Betty Dean, who would be... I I, I don't know if I'd venture far enough to say she was a love interest. It was implied at certain points, but it never really got past more than a very deep friendship. Uh, but she was kind of the secondary protagonist of his early days when it came to his comic publication in Marvel Comics. It was also during this period in New York when Namor had his first battle with the Human Torch, which was the first big Marvel comic crossover. These two characters, who had been created at the same time, had never crossed paths before, and this was kind of the first, the birth of the Marvel Universe, in a way, as... These two characters who, yes, shared a publication uh, home did not exactly have adventures together. So this was a huge deal with these two heroes. Well, I, I use hero in quotations for Namor uh, clashing for the very first time. Later on, as he began to become more and more uh, radical with his views on the surface world, he ended up traveling to back to the U.S. and captured President Franklin D. Roosevelt to try to get him to uh, acquiesce to his demands that he had on the surface world and their involvement. And uh, it, it, was, it was messy. It's messy, let's just say. And this was when he first clashed with Franklin D. Roosevelt's watchdogs, Captain America and his sidekick, Bucky. Namor was eventually repelled and FDR returned to safety. However, this would not be the last time that Namor crossed paths with a star-spangled man with a plan. Nazis then attacked Atlantis with a with an assault unlike they had shown before. Thakor was very heavily injured and was unfit at the time to continue to lead Atlantis, and so Namor was named interim king in his stead while Thakor recovered. It was around the same time that his former best friend, his childhood buddy Murano, left Atlantis after being outed for sharing secrets of the city to the Nazis that allowed them to attack the city. And Murano joined the Nazis as U-Man. 
this led to Namor getting involved with uh, the direct conflict in World War II when Winston Churchill was attacked by Nazis and Namor just happened to be swimming by. Uh, Namor defended Winston Churchill and due to their shared history, though they didn't realize just how far it went, Namor was uh, deemed a hero and an ally of the uh, Allied Powers, and was joined up with former rivals Captain America, Bucky, and the Human Torch alongside the Torch's uh, sidekick Toro to become the team, the Invaders. Now, this Invaders team battled against the Axis forces throughout World War II, and at one point even battled a version of the Avengers, who were time-traveling because of Kang's machinations. Uh, During this time, while on the front of the war, uh, Namor also met and befriended war medic Tommy McCann, though unfortunately their friendship would be short-lived as Tommy would die in Namor's arms during a particularly bloody battle. Namor at one point traveled with the invaders to Wakanda to meet with King T'Chaka to try and gain his favor and hopefully gain some help in the war. However, T'Chaka set in his ways and really uh, more interested in defending his borders than trying to reach past them. rejected them peacefully, and it was during this time where Namor first encountered T'Chaka's young son, T'Challa, with the two bonding in a way that an angry man and a small child do. You know, we've seen Last of Us and Logan and all of that stuff. However, uh, their adventures as the invaders would come to an end when, at a certain point during the later years of the war, Namor was called into Churchill's office and was informed that Cap and Bucky had unfortunately died, saving the world from a bomb threat from Baron Zemo. Following this, due to his due to the, all the loss that he had suffered during the war, Namor began to distance himself from the team. And as the war began to wind down, Namor began to long for the warmth of the uh, the undersea city of Atlantis. He was tired of fighting uh, surface dwellers' wars, and when the remaining invaders decided to form the all winter squad to fight off post-war Nazis and the uh, growing threat of the communists, Namor eventually left the team to return home. However, when Namor did return home, he found that he had been ousted by Bira, his his cousin and former friend, who had been whispering in the ear of a revived Thakor, who had healed from his injuries and retaken his place as the regent of Atlantis, and Namor was banished. Exiled from his home, he went back to the surface and ended up living with World War II vet Randall Peterson and his family off a uh, coast town and helped to raise uh, Randall's daughter, Nay. Though his time with the uh, Petersons was probably the most peaceful that he had ever had it, he was summoned back to Atlantis to celebrate the uh, birthday of his grandfather, Emperor Thakor. However, when he returned to Atlantis, he found it in ruins. It had been attacked once again, this time by telepath Paul Destine. That's right! Paul Destine had returned to 
wreak havoc upon the city in revenge for the death of the crew of the Oracle. And he wasn't alone. He also had in his possession a device that would exponentially increase his telepathic abilities, that device being the Serpent Crown. This was a piece of headwear that enhanced uh, all mental capabilities and had some fairly bad side effects for anyone who decided to wear it, including madness, which we will get into. Unfortunately, during this attack, the core, as well as Namor's mother, Fen, were killed, and so... Namor was left to be the king once again. However, he would not be able to take up the throne as during the battle, Paul Destine would strike at Namor through the serpent's crown and rend unto him amnesia, robbing Namor of his memories and sending him on his way. An amnesiac, Namor found himself back in the coast town and in the care of the Petersons. This time, though, as he had spent some time wandering due to his amnesia, he, was, he came face to face with an adult Ney who helped to nurse him back to health. It was during this time that Namor encountered Charles Xavier, and Charles revealed to Namor that he was, in fact, a mutant, with Charles having a not-yet-cerebro-insured method on locating humans thanks to their X-gene. He wanted Namor to help him search out and find other mutants so that they could form a community. And thanks to Namor, or thanks to Xavier, Namor's memories, for the moment, were restored. They traveled the country trying to find other mutants, but found themselves in a losing effort. Either when they would turn up, the mutant was unable or unwilling to out themselves as a mutant due to the not-so-great views on mutants and the growing hysteria around mutants at the time, or when they arrived to a location that should have held a mutant, they would find that the mutant had unfortunately been found and killed. This came to a head during, a, during an event with a mutant called Genus, who could change the species of living creatures, and during the scuffle and the kerfuffle, Genus was killed by police. And though Charles wanted Namor to continue on, saying that Genus's sacrifice shouldn't be in vain, Namor was undeterred and did not like seeing what he now knew as his people being gunned down by surface dwellers. And in an argument, Xavier tried to push past Namor's PTSD from the war and his trauma that he had suffered throughout his life, but unfortunately just made it worse, causing Namor to fly into a rage and kick-started once again his amnesia, making him lose his memories over the course of him traveling around through the U.S. once again. This brings us to the Age of Heroes. Years later, when Namor, who at this point had been wandering the country as Old Man, a derelict amnesiac with a bushy beard and long hair, found himself wandering the streets of New York, helping people where he could, but really not knowing who or what he was. He was discovered by the new Human Torch, Johnny Storm of the Fantastic Four, who, by giving him a quick little uh, flame 
Induced haircut and shave realized this is Namor. He's a war hero. And Johnny did the only sensible thing picked Namor up and launched him into the bay. Being within contact of water once again allowed Namor to regain his memories. And due to him recognizing how long it had been, he returned to Atlantis only to find it completely decimated due to atomic bomb testing in the years following the war. Due to this, uh, Namor declared war on the surface world and began clashing with other superheroes, including the Fantastic Four, notably. And it was during this initial meeting with the Fantastic Four that he met and became infatuated with Susan Storm, the Invisible Woman. And he claimed that he would be the one to marry this woman, which kickstarted a rivalry with her then boyfriend at the time, Reed Richards. This rivalry with Reed is legendary and has lasted throughout their entire comic book history together. Uh, Namor did eventually find that Atlant the citizens of Atlantis weren't wiped out by the atomic bomb testing. They had moved. They had made a brand new Atlantis further up the coast. Unfortunately, this new Atlantis was under the rule of his cousin Bera, that traitorous cousin. And after the two battled for the throne, Namor was finally able to reclaim his birthright and became the king of Atlantis. Uh, during this uh, brief monarchy, uh, he encountered the Hulk, who at the time was on the run from the Avengers, and battled with the Hulk before realizing that this creature, like him, was misunderstood by the surface world. The two then clashed with the Avengers before Namor was forced to retreat northward with the Avengers giving pursuit. And in this pursuit, Namor escaped upward farther and farther north until he found himself encountering a tribe worshipping a man encased in ice. Feeling some type of way about this, Namor broke through this ice, revealing, though he didn't recognize it at the time, his long-lost war buddy, Captain America. Namor clashed with the Avengers once more, as well as the revived Cap, and upon the two of them recognizing each other, Namor left under a tentative peace, very tentative, and was later recruited by Magneto to join the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh, and he actually accepted the offer. Namor was at one point part of the Brotherhood, which I think is wild. However, after seeing the harsh treatment that Magneto gave to uh, members Quicksilver and Wanda, who had not yet been revealed as Magneto's children, then not children, then children, then not children, Namor rejected his place within the team after seemingly being a little infatuated with Scarlet Witch as well, and left, returning to his duties as King of Atlantis. During this time, Namor marries and is widowed twice. If he had a nickel for every time that he married someone and they ended up dead, he would have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. Uh, he, at separate times, married Dorma and Marina, and both of them died, one of them through tragedy and the other through betrayal. I'll let you decide which one was which. 
He continued to battle for the leadership of Atlantis and really, I mean, control over the Seven Seas against Atma and new enemy Tiger Shark, with the two teaming up often to try and take down the Defender of the Deep. And speaking of Defenders, during this time he also established the non-team known as the Defenders. No, not the street-level heroes in New York. The original Defenders, comprising of himself... Doctor Strange, the Hulk, the Silver Surfer, and later, the Valkyrie. This is a great team, and I love this lineup. I really, really do. Uh, later on, uh, Namor ended up joining more teams, uh, including the Avengers, which he had clashed with in the past, as well as the Deep Six, which were a another group of uh, underwater heroes in the vein of Heroes Past. Uh, these... Stints were fairly short, not spending a long time with each team because he's abrasive and a dick and he doesn't like following orders. Uh, speaking of orders, though, he formed the Order with the Defenders after being driven mad by a villain, with the Order aiming to conquer the world to restore uh, peace and prosperity by any means necessary. They battled with Avengers and other costumed heroes before having the curse broken and them returning to their heroic ways. Unfortunately, during an, another one in many attacks on Atlantis, Namor was seemingly killed by Atuma. Finally, Atuma got a win. However, Namor was not in fact dead because Atuma did not check. He made the cardinal mistake of letting the body drift away without confirming death. And Namor, near death, was found by Caleb and Carrie Alexander, a father-daughter duo who were basically uh, very rich philanthropists. And they nursed Namor back to health and also gave him a new perspective and a new lease on life. Uh, Namor was given tools, both uh, technological as well as uh, not, <laughs> uh, to help with his rage, calming techniques, different medications, and everything to try and get him back under control. Uh, with their help, he established Oracle Incorporated and became a business mogul, which is a really interesting time for Namor. He... Uh, made this company and established it through Caleb and Carrie by proxy so that he could keep his supposed death for as long as possible. And during this time, Oracle Incorporated also for a while funded the Heroes for Hire, which I think is really fun. Uh, it's during this point that he finally reunited with his long-lost father, Leonard McKenzie, who had survived the massacre on the Oracle. Namor is then finally given his backstory and during this time also encounters Iron Fist while on the uh, roster of the Heroes for Hire. Ultimately, Namor, after being discovered that, it was a that he was alive once again, returned and reclaimed his throne in Atlantis from Atuma. He pretty much stayed out of the spotlight at this point until the Kree-Skrull War, which threatened to crack the planet in two, and in the aftermath of this conflict, Namor was recruited to join an effort of like-minded individuals to send a message to throughout the universe that Earth was not to be trifled with. He was joined by 
King of the Inhumans, Black Bolt, Charles Xavier, who he did not remember, Reed Richards, a notable rival, Iron Man, Avenger, and uh, all-around superhero, as well as the Sorcerer Supreme himself, Doctor Strange. They made their way first to the home planet of the Skrulls to let them know, hey, this is going to fly again. Unfortunately, their escape from the home planet of the Skrulls did not go well whatsoever. They were captured and tortured for an indeterminate amount of time with the heroes finally making their escape and heading back to Earth, vowing never to tell the public at large of the events that had happened, but resolving to stay together as a team because they believed they could do some good. They helped to defeat the Pride, a collection of mob families in Los Angeles, which, unbeknownst to them, would in a domino effect way, influence the later team, the Runaways. They encountered the Beyonder during the events of Secret Wars 2, where it was revealed that the Beyonder may in fact be a mutant-inhuman hybrid, though the canonicity of that has never really been defined, and the Beyonder is the Beyonder. Uh, they were able to, following the events of Infinity Gauntlet, they each took a gem for themselves to hide so that they could never be united again. And after seeing the uh, temptation that came with uniting all of the gems for the Infinity Gauntlet and noting that Reed had almost succumbed to that temptation, uh, Namor made his way and made sure that this gem that he was put in charge of would never be found. Uh, this is, of course, the period when Namor is part of the Illuminati, which, if you are interested, I actually did a full episode on. Episode 194, back in the archives, was a complete breakdown of the Illuminati, who they were, what they were about, their comic book history. Uh, I really like that episode, and the Illuminati is a really interesting team. So uh, check that episode out. Uh, the cracks began to show during the events of the House of M when Scarlet Witch, unfortunately, uh, suffered a nervous breakdown due to the loss she had suffered across her superhero career and shifted reality. And during this House of M event and in this new reality, Namor was hailed as the world's first superhero and welcomed by the greater public all over the world. Following this event, the decimation happened, the No More Mutants event happened, and Wanda reduced 99% of the mutant population into just regular humans. Namor, thankfully, was not part of this 99% and retained his power following M-Day. Following this, uh, the Illuminati encountered the Sentry, and though Namor was not super thrilled with the idea, the Illuminati did allow him to join Tony Stark's new Avengers in the wake of the breakout. After this, they really began to butt heads, because the Hulk had been noticeably causing some mischief, as we'll say, running through some towns, and the Illuminati took it upon themselves to solve this issue. Endeavoring to launch the Hulk into space to an uninhabited planet where uh, he could, in his own words, be left alone. And while Charles Xavier was not present for the vote, because... This was during one of the many times that Charles Xavier has died. Namor found himself standing alone 
in voting against this plan. The rest of the group gave the thumbs up and they launched the Hulk into space. Uh, This would later come back to bite them. And then the final straw that broke the Campbell's back was in the wake of the events of the Stamford incident, or really the lead up to it, Tony introduced to the to his fellow mem- members of the Illuminati the Superhero Registration Act. Namor saw this, knew what this would lead to, and officially left the Illuminati with the rest of the group dissolving shortly thereafter. However, he would not be able to escape the events of the Civil War that was brewing because his cousin Namorita, uh, while serving as a member of the New Warriors, was unfortunately killed in the Stamford Incident, a massive explosion caused by the villain Nitro that kicked off the Civil War event in Marvel Comics. Namor refused to choose a side, endeavoring to stay neutral in the conflict alongside his Atlantean people. He was more focused on finding and killing Nitro. He wanted this man dead for the murder of his cousin. And though he endeavored and worked very hard to capture this man, he was ultimately beat to the punch by Wolverine and allowed Wolverine to take Nitro in. Uh, However, Namor, following this, had a change of heart and decided to join up with Captain America's Secret Avengers in the climactic battle in New York. However, that battle ended with Captain America surrendering, and later, Cap was killed on the steps of the courthouse, putting an end to this current age of heroes. Following this, as uh, as we alluded to before... The sins of the Illuminati's past came back to haunt them because the Hulk, after spending time as a gladiator on Sakaar, conquering it, becoming King Hulk, and then losing his entire kingdom, seemingly due to the machinations of the Illuminati, had made his way back to Earth to kill them all as the World Breaker. The Hulk battled against Namor, but decided to spare him because Namor was the lone voice of dissent in this plan. And Hulk went on to ruin everyone else's lives for a little bit before the end of the conflict in the World War Hulk storyline. Tony called the Illuminati together one last time to inform them of a growing conspiracy. As during a recent event, Elektra who had taken control of the hand, had been revealed to be a Skrull. And knowing that the implications of this and the optics of the Illuminati having poked the bear, so to speak, with the Skrulls, perhaps initiating this or getting the ball rolling into the infiltration of the superhero community did not sit well with them, and they realized they needed to do something. However they were not able to enact any plan because Black Bolt then revealed himself as a Skrull and attacked the rest of the Illuminati team. It was unknown how long Black Bolt had been a Skrull, though it was implied that he had been swapped out at a certain point, perhaps even way back when they first escaped the Skrull homeworld. It's It's unknown at this time exactly when they were switched. However... The Illuminati are able to barely survive the attack by this Black Bolt imposter alongside two other Skrulls and decide that they cannot, cannot 
trust each other, and so the Illuminati go their separate ways once more. Which leads into the events of Secret Invasion, where the Skrull Queen Varanki uh, tried to take over the world and make it the new Skrull home world. Thankfully, uh, she was thwarted by the combined efforts of the superhero community. However, Namor was not able to uh, participate in this event because he was dealing with an uprising. His long-lost son, Kamar, had returned and led a rebellion against Namor for a short time ousting his father before Namor was able to defeat his son and place him under custody. Uh, Atlantis, during this conflict, however, was evacuated by Namor as the amount of people that Kamar was able to rally to his cause equaled, if not outnumbered, the uh, loyal subjects to Namor. And so Namor allowed all uh, parties who wanted to leave his, uh, his leadership to evacuate the city of Atlantis as he and Kamar battled to a standstill. He was able to escape, however, as Kamar was caught in the blast of Nitro, who had been taken under custody at a certain point between his capture by Wolverine and now, and Kamar was killed alongside the entire city of Atlantis being destroyed, leaving Namor with no connections, no home, and nowhere to turn to. However... Namor would then be approached at his worst and weakest moment by one Victor Von Doom, who, just like with the Illuminati before, had a proposition for Namor to join like-minded individuals to pick up where the Illuminati had left off and to bring order and stability to the planet. And this is where Namor joined the Cabal. Joining other members, Emma Frost, Norman Osborn, Loki, and The Hood. And it's during this time that he uh, becomes enamored with and be- enters into a very sexual relationship with Emma Frost, the two becoming lovers during their stint on the Cabal. At a certain point during the uh, events of, or the early days of the uh, mutant uprising and during the Dark Reign story, Osborn orders Namor to execute some rogue Atlanteans who were protesting against his rule. Namor absolutely does not take this well, leaving the Cabal alongside Emma and betraying Osborn. Following this, uh, Namor is approached by another former villain, that this time Magneto, who wants to form an alliance with Namor and help him to establish two nations for the price of one. Uh, Namor is able to use his connections and his abilities to help the mutants establish the island nation of Utopia, and directly beneath Utopia, Namor built a new Atlantis. And it's during this point that Namor officially joins the X-Men as a member. I love, I kind of love the Utopia area, or the Utopia era, to be honest. There's a lot about it that is uh, actually really good. It's called The Lost Decade by Hickman, and I get it, but you know what? I still like it. Uh, During his stint on the X-Men, he battled against vampires to protect his new homes, as well as being dragged to hell at one point before being rescued by Doctor Doom. Uh, This all came crashing down, unfortunately, when Atima, his former uh, enemy, was transformed during the... uh, 
during the Fear Itself event into NERCON, Breaker of Oceans. And Namor was once again ousted from Atlantis, forced to become a full-time citizen of Utopia. This leads directly into the Avengers vs. X-Men event, where Namor uh, finds himself standing with the X-Men against the Avengers during the impending return of the Phoenix. Uh, during a climactic battle on the moon, Iron Man, using one of his many, many armors, attacks the Phoenix, and it is shattered, splitting into five pieces and inhabiting five members of the conflict. That being Namor himself... Cyclops, Scott Summers, his former lover, current lover of Cyclops, Emma Frost, Colossus, and his young sister, Magic, Ilyana Rasputin. They decide they are going to, just like Namor had always wanted, bring order and peace to the world by any means necessary and rule over the planet for a short time. It's during this period where Namor is brought to or is summoned by the Illuminati one last time to try and have some peace talks, try to come to a peaceful resolution. It does not go well, with the majority of the team basically arguing with each other and leaving before Namor even arrives. However, when he does arrive, he understands that there's no going back from this. Namor and the rest of the Phoenix Five then decide that their methods are being too lenient, and they decide, you know what? We gotta get a little bit more hands-on. And Namor takes this to mean, oh, sweet, I'm gonna go and drown Wakanda. Drowning the nation and almost submerging and killing every single Wakandan in that, in the country of Wakanda. It is terrifying. And it is just a small fraction of what Namor can do. Namor is approached by the remaining Wakandans as well as the Avengers and the X-Men and put down, so to speak, defeated. And as he faces his defeat, his fragment of the Phoenix Force leaves him and eventually finds its way to Scott Summers. Now, following this event, Namor found himself with enemies on all sides. He returned to Atlantis and was able to reclaim his uh, throne once again. However, there were problems on the horizon. And by problems, I mean another entire Earth showing up in the skyline. The Illuminati were reconvened by the king of Wakanda, T'Challa, and informed about the existence of incursions events where two planets would find themselves two alternate earths would find themselves within each other's atmosphere and with themselves in a limited time for either the planets to be realigned and pushed apart for one planet to destroy another or for both planets to suffer destruction it's due to this that they came into contact with the black swan who decided to help them navigate these incursions and figure out how to try and uh, keep their planet standing in the event of incursions and they would have plenty of them however it's during this that the Illuminati now reformed with T'Challa that T'Challa himself makes a promise to Namor that when this is all over he will kill Namor for what he did to Wakanda 
However, uh, the original roster set to kind of get into the uh, incursion game would suffer a setback when upon them deciding they will need to blow up Earths to save their own. Captain America decides he's going to go public because he does not believe in sacrificing any lives for any reason. Cap is unfortunately then mind-wiped and set back into the Avengers like he had never been there, and the Illuminati went to work to battle against the Incursions. They waged a secret war in the, uh, basically on every other Earth that would come into contact with them, destroying them, trying to find ways to uh, avert them. Most Earths were uninhabited, thankfully, but they found themselves, unfortunately, with the knowledge that eventually they were going to come in they were going to find an Earth that was not uninhabited, and it was not going to end well. Due to this as well, the tensions between Wakanda and Atlantis were at an all-time high, because their leaders were openly, openly being catty as hell with each other, and in the interest of the bigger picture, T'Challa calls for a meeting with Namor, asking him to put aside their differences and bring peace between both nations. Unfortunately, though Namor does agree to his terms in the interest of the greater good, T'Challa was not the leader of Wakanda at this time. His sister Shuri was, and Shuri was not interested in peace. So during the secret meeting between T'Challa and Namor, Shuri staged an attack and raised Atlantis, absolutely decimating the city before Namor was made aware of what was happening. Taking this as a as another act of open war when Namor returned to his city to find it in ruins and his people dead, he was more than willing to help when Thanos and his uh, his general arrived to find out where Namor had been hiding the Infinity Stones. And Namor, petty as he is, lied, telling Thanos, my gem is in Wakanda. Woof. Uh, this led to Thanos attacking Wakanda and heavily, heavily damaging the nation, killing countless people, and all in a revenge scheme. The cycle of violence continued. This was followed up by the incident with the Great Society of Earth 4290001, the latest Marvel Justice League pastiche, where... They finally found an incursion where the two planets were fully inhabited. And they were forced to kill the Great Society, at least most of its members, before needing to set an antimatter bomb on the planet and detonate it. When they returned to their Earth, however, both Reed and T'Challa found themselves unable to pull the trigger. So Namor did it. Killing all the lives on Earth 4290001. Because of this and his erratic behavior in the past, uh, Namor was expelled. Expelled? Expelled is the word? Namor was expelled from the group with Namor revealing to T'Challa what he had done. 
uh, continuing their hatred of each other. And upon being uh, expelled from the group, Namor decided he needed to do what the rest of the Illuminati was not willing to do. And so Namor established a new cabal alongside Maximus the Mad, Thanos, Proxima Midnight, Corvus Glaive, Terax, and the traitorous Black Swan. With the Cabal setting out to destroy every other Earth they would come into contact with to save their own. Which brings us to Time Runs Out, and eight months later, the secret is out. The wider world knows about the incursions, they know about the death of the multiverse, and they know that there is a team looking out for their best interests. That's right, the Cabal has been officially sanctioned by the United Nations to battle against other Earths in the event of an incursion. The Illuminati, who were Dub traitors for keeping the secret of the incursions from the wider world are on the run. And strangely enough, Namor, who had been, again, kicked out of the group, finds himself welcomed by the wider world for the first time due to his extreme stance. However, Namor finds himself disillusioned by the Cabal because though he established them to do what needed to be done, he finds himself disgusted by the joy with which the Cabal seems to kill other Earths. He doesn't enjoy it. He knows it's a job. They seem to really get off on killing people. And so he approaches Dr. Doom to try and help him resolve this matter and take out the Cabal. However, Doom, who was super offended that Namor didn't come to him first, says, go F yourself and figure out your own problems. Namor then returned to the Illuminati and plotted with them to kill the Cabal during the next incursion. Uh, and though the plans seemed to be going accordingly, with Namor traveling with the Cabal to the other planet and then making his way up to the uh, up to basically a satellite that was positioned between the two Earths, where he would detonate the Earth, killing the Cabal in the process. As he made his way to the satellite, he was ambushed by the Blacks, Panther, and Bolt, who attacked him, telling with Wakanda, uh, Wakanda's king telling him, I told you I would get you eventually. Savagely attacking Namor and stranding him on the other Earth to die. Namor is able to lie his way out of getting a beating by the Cabal and the team at that exact moment experience another incursion with them able to hop to the parallel earth this time they found themselves on earth 1610 the ultimate universe and this is where they encountered ultimate reed richards aka the maker eventually the death of the multiverse resulted in only two Earths being left standing, that being Earth-616 and Earth-1610. And in the final incursion, both worlds were destroyed, though Namor alongside the Maker and the other members of the Cabal were able to escape the destruction in a la life raft that the Maker had prepared. Which brings us to Secret Wars! Uh, in the aftermath of the end of the multiverse, Doctor Doom, wielding the power of the Beyonders, is able to construct Battle World, a planet comprised patchwork style of the many 
Earths throughout the multiverse, remnants of each Earth so that he could rule over them as God Emperor Doom. It's during this time when Namor officially abandons the Cabal and forms a begrudging alliance with T'Challa, where they venture to the Isle of Agamotto following the death of uh, Sorcerer Supreme Doctor Strange and find themselves in possession of an Infinity Gauntlet that works on Battleworld. The two then brought the fight alongside an entire army of Marvel zombies to God Emperor Doom, and Namor sacrificed himself, blocking a beam meant for T'Challa, sacrificing himself for the greater good before the universe was eventually reset. However, though Namor's death was reversed in the resetting of the Marvel Universe in a brand new Earth put in its place. Namor was eventually hunted down and murdered by the Squadron Supreme in retaliation for the action of the Cabal. The Squadron Supreme comprised of several heroes from across the destroyed Earths that were wiped out by the Cabal due to the uh, machinations of Namor. However, these events too were reset and Namor once again found himself regent of Atlantis, living his life under the sea. This uh, was not the end for Namor's troubles, however, as the Secret Empire event would transpire where Captain America, a s- now revealed to be a sleeper agent for Hydra, would take control of the country and looked to Namor for companionship and for an alliance because he knew that Atlantis held within it a shard of the Cosmic Cube, which had been shattered during this event. When Namor tried to lie again that they didn't have it, Cap retaliated by destroying an ages-old temple that was very valued to the Atlantean people, and to spare his people from any more violence, Namor submitted, giving Cap the fragment of the Cosmic Cube, and placing Atlantis under martial law. His fear for his people turned into tyranny as he thought that only he could possibly decide what's best for his people. It was during this time when he was encountered by an old friend, that being Jim Hammond, the original Human Torch and the sidekick Toro, wanting to figure out what the hell's going on and how can we stop Cap from being a Nazi. Uh, Namor, however, was unwilling to help and imprisoned the Human Torch in Toro to keep them from trying to sway his people to join the conflict. Thankfully, he was overthrown by Namora and forced to repent, eventually seeing the error of his ways and utilizing his people to help. Which started off with him finding and rescuing Bucky Barnes following an assassination attempt by Zemo and getting him back in the fight. It's after this that he's approached by a recently resurrected Jean Grey for an alliance with her group of X-Men. They were able to strike up a deal where Namor provided a base for Jean's new team and eventually joined the X-Men Red Team to battle against Teen Abomination and Cassandra Nova. Eventually, he leaves the team to return to his duties in Atlantis, and when the opportunity comes up to join the island nation of Krakoa, Namor refuses, saying he already has a people. After this, 
Uh, Namor is seen attacking an illegal Roxxon whaling ship and captures its soldiers. Uh, the Avengers arrive, and though the peace talks initially go well, the threat of Roxxon attacking his people forces Namor to try and execute the prisoners. The Avengers try to attack Namor, and Namor wrecks them. Namor 1v-alls the entire Avengers team and then executes these soldiers. In... Uh, in response to this, Roxxon is able to counter-attack, and in the scuffle, some Atlantean children are killed due to the inaction of surface dwellers uh, seeing them basically beached and not willing to help them. It's due to the deaths of these children that Namor officially declares war on the surface world once again and forms the Defenders of the Deep, battling against the Avengers once again before this time retreating during a losing battle. Which brings us to the Always an Invader storyline, which I actually did a spotlight episode for in episode 152. Go check that out. It's a wonderful story. If you want more information on this period, because uh, I'm going to give you the Spark Notes version of it that would be the place to check it out if you're interested uh namor continues his campaign against the surface world during this time aided by his new advisor makan and briefly reunites with the original defenders team on the far off uh water or fully underwater planet of vodan uh, he conquers other water tribes throughout the seven seas and seems to display a shocking power boost, able to part the ocean itself in limit, in a limited capacity. It is during this time that uh, Namor seems to be falling further and further into madness, and it's during this time where he recruits former friend Ney, uh, Peterson's son Roman, who at this point is a high-ranking member of the U.S. military, to his side. Namor stages an attack on Atlantis with Roman's help, which allows Atlantis to counterattack using a chemical agent utilized from the blood of the former mutant genus to turn humans into Atlanteans. This becomes a whole mess with the Mad King Namor and the conflict he has with the surface world becoming a little bit more complicated when it was revealed that his advisor, Makan, is actually an illusion. A mental illusion that was based off of his old wartime buddy, Tommy Makan, who he had never gotten over the death of, that had gained sentience, and had been using the old-school serpent crown to briefly take over Namor at times to put pieces into place to allow him to gain his own body. He uses the crown to transfer into Roman's body after Roman is transformed into an Atlantean and betrays Namor using a chemical using the same chemical agent to turn Namor human before stranding him with Cap on a desert island. Eventually, Namor is restored to his power and joins alongside Cap and his fellow former invaders to defeat Makan, parting ways peacefully for now. After this, uh, Namor uh, began to focus on his stuff again with Atlantis, focusing on his people, focusing on making sure that he was a just and 
benevolent monarch. However, he did find himself clashing with the new agents of Atlas following a theft by the big Yuyen company. Uh, they stole the Serpent Crown, which is a problem, and eventually Namor would find redemption working with the agents of Atlas and helped in the uh, short-lived war with the King in Black. Uh, it's during this time that it is revealed his uh, his backstory with the Black Tide, and he leads the Defenders of the Deep to retrieve a newly returned Phoenix Force coming into conflict with the Avengers once again. However, it is during this that he is pulled into the White Hot Room with other uh, members to of the conflict to battle in the Phoenix Tournament to decide who will claim the Phoenix for themselves making his way all the way up to the final conflict before defeating or before being defeated by Echo, who would become the new avatar of the Phoenix. Atlantis then, following this, rebelled against Namor once again. However, they were not able to completely oust him because they were attacked by a brainwashed She-Hulk, at this point known as the Winter Hulk. Namor was able to break her programming and allow her to regain control of herself. And during this conflict, evacuated Atlantis to a different city and resolved to remain in the empty city of Atlantis alone in exile. However, She-Hulk would not leave him by himself, and due to them going through this very trying experience together, recruits him to join the Avengers to battle against the multiversal Masters of Evil, which takes us right up to where we are currently. Uh, Namor is currently a member of the Avengers, and if you want to uh, catch up with that, you can jump into that Jason Aaron run, and that does it for his history. It's a long one. He's been around, like I said, for a very long time, but if you are interested in learning a little bit more about his character, if any of the events that I talked about sound really cool to you and you want to know where to read them in the comics, I got you covered, because I have seven books that you should check out for that Namor fix. Uh, first off, Defenders Volume 1 from 1972, written by Steve Englehart with art by Sal Bishema. This is the first volume of the Defenders. Namor, at least for me, often works the best when he's part of a team, whether it be the Invaders, the Defenders, the, the Avengers, and this is no different. This is Namor really first jumping into his first team during the Heroic Age, and it's really cool to see them all together. Him, Doctor Strange, Hulk, Silver Surfer, and Valkyrie uh, really grappling with the idea of being a non-team. I also would recommend the Saga of the Submariner from 1988, uh, written by Roy Thomas and Dan Thomas with art by Rich Buckler. Uh, this is basically the recounting of Namor's origin story. If you want to get the, you know, an introduction to the character, this is a great place to do it. I would also recommend this is an underappreciated gem. You might have heard us mention this on the Geek Explained Book Club last week. Submariner The Depths from 2008, written by Peter Milligan with art by Asad Ribic. Uh, this is basically the horror story. This is a horror movie. This is Alien, except Namor is the alien. A group of deep sea divers go to try to uh, discover Atlantis and find themselves locked in with Namor. It's horror filled. The art is stunning. I would recommend this for sure. I'd also recommend the new Avengers run. 
uh, from 2013, written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Steve Epting, Mike Diodato, Simone Bianchi, and Rags Morales. This is the uh, Illuminati versus the Incursions storyline. Time runs out. Great, great stuff. The Namor of it all is incredible, and once again, as part of a team, especially with this conflict with T'Challa, I love it. I love reading it. X-Men Red is a book I would also recommend, written by Tom Taylor and Mahmoud Azrar from 2018. This is when he joins Jean's uh, I don't, I don't want to say revolutionaries because they're not like violent like that, but uh, X-Men Red is a great book and he is an absolutely uh, important part of that story. Uh, the big one that I would recommend probably the most out of all of them is Always an Invader, from t- also from 2019, written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Carlos Magno and Butch Geis. This is the Mad King Namor storyline, the most recent big Namor-focused story. Definitely would recommend. Once again, I did an episode on it, episode 152. If you want to learn more about that story, go check that out. And finally, King in Black Namor from 2020, written by Kurt Busiak and art by uh, Benjamin Dewey and Jonas uh, scarf, scarf. I'm sorry. Uh, this was actually really cool. It gave more backstory and lore to Atlantis, and I wasn't, uh, I didn't read this at the time, but doing the research for this, I decided to dive into all things Namor, and it is a really solid tie-in for The King in Black, and I'm kind of sad that I didn't read it beforehand, because I would absolutely recommend it. But, that is it for uh, Namor, his character backstory, his uh, recommended reading. Namor's been through a lot, but no matter what the challenge, no matter how stacked the odds seem to be against him, Namor will always take up his trident, shout Imperious Rex, and fly into danger because that is what an invader does. And as the saying goes, once an invader... Always an invader. Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown. This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, as much as I loved the other books I read last week, it was Gotham City Year One Number Two. Written by Tom King, art by Phil Hester. I just love this book to death. Detective Noir in the uh, worst city in the world. I love this story. It is wonderful. Go pick this and the first issue up. You do not want to miss it. But that's last week's books. This week, we've got... Four, five, six, eight, ten, eleven, twelve books for you to check out. We, uh, we've got a lot. So let's just go ahead and dive into it. First off, uh, I want to say thank you as a quick aside to everyone who uh, reached out about the uh, Death of Superman and Antonio Inoki episode from last uh, last week. I loved putting it together and it was really uh, heartwarming to get some really good response to it. Uh, but fittingly, the first uh, book on this list is the Death of Superman 30th Anniversary Special Number 1. This is... Written by uh, Jerry Ordway, Roger Stern, Louise, uh, Louise Simonson, Dan Jurgens, uh, with art by Butch Geis, Clay Mann, uh, Tom Grummet, Bill Sinkevich, uh, Lee Weeks, Gabriel Rodriguez, Walt Simonson, John Bognadov, 
uh, Bogdanov, uh, Fabio Moon, Jamal Campbell, and Brett Breeding. Uh, this is the celebration. This is the 30th anniversary issue uh, for the death of Superman. And uh, let's just dive into the synopsis. The life of Superman slash standing guard slash time slash above and beyond. 30 years ago, the unthinkable happened. The Man of Steel died. After sacrificing himself to stop the unstoppable global threat Doomsday, Metropolis and the rest of the DC Universe mourn the loss of their greatest hero. To mark this monumental moment in comics, DC has reunited the complete creative team behind the original event for four brand new stories. Led by Dan Jurgens and Brett Breeding, this special kicks off with a new Superman story and villain, Doombreaker. F followed by a series of short stories revisiting some of Superman's greatest allies and exclusive pinups done by some of comics' greatest artistic talent. I love this. Uh, it's basically like every other anniversary special they've done, but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Next up, we have a trio of Spider-Man books. It's uh, Spider-Mania this week, kicking things off with Spider-Man number two. This is written by Dan Slott with art by Mark Bagley. I was not prepared for the ending of issue one of this story. It's the end of Spider-Verse, and uh, I don't know how to feel about it. So we're going to find out. Uh, I am hoping against hope, I think, that this is going to be amazing. I know how good both of these creators are, but we will just have to see. Synopsis goes like this. The end of the Spider-Verse rages on. After the tragedy of the first issue, our spider heroes try to make a plan against Morloon. But Morloon isn't their only problem. Shothra is back. And more powerful than the last time, she nearly killed Peter and Ezekiel. Last time, Peter tricked Shothra, and she's had plenty of time to plan his death and the death of all spiders. That's a lot. It's a lot. I am worried. Next up, uh, pretty cool, I think. We have Spider-Man The Lost Hunt number one. This is written by J.M.D. Matias with art by Eater Macias. And uh, this is... Well, let's, let's see the synopsis real quick and then I'll talk about it. The origins of Craven finally revealed. J.M.D. Matias's J.M. Matias continues to spin new webs within the past, this time partnered with artist Eater Macias. Revealing secrets and answering mysteries Spidey fans have been waiting for, prepare to explore the depths of what made Craven the Hunter the powerhouse villain he was. As Peter Parker and Mary Jane prepare for their new lives in Portland, a man from Craven's past stalks them. Who is this mystery man, and what does he want with Spider-Man? Find out when we return to the time period after Spider-Man The Final Adventure when Peter Parker was powerless. That's pretty cool. I like that. And I like that Demetrius is kind of getting into these lost period stories. He did this wonderful mini with Ben Riley recently. And I'm excited to see what he does with Craven here. And then finally in our Spider Trio, we have The Amazing Spider-Man number 13. This is written by Zeb Wells with art by John Romita Jr. And this is continuing the return of the Hobgoblin. I have no idea what they are trying to do here, but I'm, I know that I'm very excited about it. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Hobgoblin's story comes to a chilling end. And no one is going to be rocked harder by it than Norman Osborn. Witness the birth of the Gold Goblin. What does this mean for our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man? Yeah, I would like to know that as well. This is going to be very, very interesting. Next up, we have Superman, Son of Kal-El, number 17. 
This is written by Tom Taylor with art by Sian Tormi, and I believe this is the final issue for uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El. It's either this or issue 18 before they transition into uh, the next phase, Adventures of Superman. Uh, but I have loved this book. I think it's really good in getting a lot of undue hate. And they are continuing. This is, I believe, part four of Kal-El Returns, kind of resetting the status quo for the Superman books. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Kal-El Returns, part four. Superman and Son are reunited. So why doesn't it feel so good? Could it be because of the LexCorp automatons threatening the safety of Metropolis? I've got a bad feeling about this. That's interesting. Uh, I kind of don't like that it's now Superman and Son. You know? Maybe that's just me. They're both Superman. I don't know. It's semantics, but I am excited to pick this up and continue on this return of Kal-El story. Next up, we have Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number six. This is written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly with art by Carmen Carnero. I have been loving this book, and the cliffhanger from the last issue has been torturing me since I put that last issue down. I cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Captain America has misjudged his place in the battle against the elusive Outer Circle, and it's about to cost him everything. The Sentry game has been turned upside down, and when the dust settles, Steve Rogers' world will never be the same again. Yeah, I I love this book. I think it's wonderful. The Cap books are incredibly strong right now, and I'm very excited to pick this up. Next up, we have a brand new number one. This is the new Golden Age number one. This is written by Jeff Johns with art by Jerry Ordway, Steve Lieber, and Diego Olortegui. Olortegui. I'm sorry. Uh, This is complicated, to say the least, I think. Um, It's tough when you look at a book with Jeff Johns on it because he's he's got his hands on some of my favorite IPs, uh, and the Justice Society is one of them. And this is the return of the Justice Society. So that is unfortunate, but I will be picking this up because I love the Justice Society. So let's go ahead and get into the synopsis. From the Justice Society of America to the Legion of Superheroes, the new Golden Age will unlock DC's epic and secret-ridden history of heroism, launching a new group of titles set firmly in the DC Universe. From the 1940s to the 3040s, heroes take on the great evils of their time, but in the aftermath of Flashpoint Beyond, those heroes and villains will have their lives turned upside down. DC's future and its past will never be the same again. But how are Mime and Marionette connected to this? Why are Rip Hunter and the Time Masters the most unlikable heroes in the DC Universe? I don't think that's the truth. And who or what is Nostalgia? Don't miss the start of the strangest mystery to have ever plagued the DC Universe. We're going to find out that Nostalgia cliffhanger here. Great. Wonderful. Um, (laughs) It's frustrating. 
it's frustrating being a fan sometimes. Uh, but this is going to be a one shot before we get straight into the uh, Justice Society book later on down the line. I will be reading this and I will report back on whether it's garbage or not. But what I know isn't going to be garbage, another brand new number one. This is Fantastic Four number one. This is written by Ryan Northwood, art by Ivan Coelho. I, alongside a lot of people, have been waiting for this book. I'm very excited about this. Uh, Fantastic Four uh, needed something like this. And I cannot wait to pick this up. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Whatever happened to the Fantastic Four? It's the start of a new era for the Fantastic Four, and they're already in a ton of trouble. Something has gone terribly wrong in New York, and the Thing and Alicia are traveling across America to escape it. But when they stop in a small town for the night and wake up the morning before they arrived, they find themselves caught in a time loop that's been going on since before they were born. That's been going on since before they were born. That's been going on since before they were born. That's 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 really fun. It's a really fun synopsis. Uh, I am intrigued by this, and I can't wait to pick this book up. Next up, we have Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number six. Uh, this is written by Joshua Williamson with art by Daniel Sampier. Uh, I don't know if this is the... No, we've got one more. So, seven issues of this. Uh, this is issue six of seven, the penultimate chapter. Full-scale war against Pariah and the forces of evil. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. War erupts as more heroes are taken at the hands of Pariah. The fate of the multiverse depends on the young heroes of the DCU as they clash with Deathstroke and the Dark Army. Can the resurrected Justice League race home to Earth Zero in time to join the fight, even if it could mean that not everyone gets to return? And what dark powerhouse rises on the battlefield? Do not miss this incredible breakneck battle royale. I'm hoping this means there's consequences! Fingers crossed. We'll just have to see. Next up, we have Judgment Day Omega number one. This is written by Kieran Gillen with art by... Oh no, I'm so sorry. I'm going to I'm going to butcher this. Giu Villanova. Uh this is the final chapter of the Judgment Day story. This is the epilogue. This is the follow-up to that event. Uh the event was fantastic. I think both Judgment Day and Dark Crisis have been great. Uh Judgment Day ekes out Dark Crisis though for me personally. They'll we'll we'll see how how it ends up once the last two issues come out. Uh, but I am excited to see what ramifications this event is going to have on everybody. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The fallout of Judgment Day is felt. After events, there are promises. Nothing will ever be the same again. It's true. I've said it three times in this segment alone. For the Eternals, it's a lie. It's always the same and always will be. However, in the wake of Judgment Day, they discover what is truly eternal that's interesting uh it doesn't say it's story critical though so i don't know if i don't know if i need to read it i don't know if i need to read it it doesn't say story critical in the synopsis so i don't know if it matters i'm, I'm gonna stop being salty at some point I'll, I'll, I'll i'm gonna stop talking about that at some point but it won't be this day uh i am looking forward to this should be interesting next up uh i think the Two big books of the week, the books I think you should absolutely be picking up, are first, 
Batman vs. Robin, number three. This is written by Mark Wade with art by Mahmoud Azrar. I have been loving this so far. The first two issues were fantastic. I am very excited to continue on, and all of these variant covers, I'm looking at them now, are gorgeous. Uh, great, great stuff all around. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Batman has been on a breakneck journey through the DC universe, from Wayne Manor to the House of Secrets and back again. But where there are clues, there is a trail, and the world's greatest detective has followed this particular trail back to where he and Superman began this journey, Lazarus Island. With an entire island and army at Damian Wayne's disposal, does Batman stand a chance? We'll give you a hint. No. That's bold. I like that. Uh, we did see Damien finally step into his Batman persona. Uh, so it's going to be more like Batman versus Batman in this. And I'm excited to pick this up. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is, of course, Do a Powerbomb number six. This is by Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer. Uh, this is, again, the penultimate chapter for this Do a Powerbomb story. This is issue six of seven. I love this book. It might very well be my book of the year when all is said and done. But uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Lona Steel Rose and Cobra Sun must face a hard truth as Fiso wrestles with their own life or death situation. Yeah, a big cliffhanger. After last issue, I cannot wait to read this. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we've got The Death of Superman, 30th Anniversary Special number one. What a mouthful. Spider-Man number two, Spider-Man The Lost Hunt number one, and The Amazing Spider-Man number 13, Superman, Son of Kal-El number 17, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty number six, The New Golden Age number one, Fantastic Four number one, Dark Crisis on Infinite Earths number six, Judgment Day Omega number one, Batman vs. Robin number three, and do a powerbomb number six. November is shaping up to be just as good, if not better, when it comes to the comics it is putting out than October, so make sure you hit up your LCS this week. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday and honestly, ratings, reviews, subscriptions, but especially those ratings really does help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space, raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. Give me some reviews to read. You can write literally anything you want, and I will be forced to read it on the show. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit for whatever you want to write. And, as an extra bonus, you'll be able to join the likes of our Red 13, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A-Lock and AZ, Sass, and Jedi Jesse 20. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. 
If you want to be part of the Geeksplain mailbag, uh, send your emails to geeksplain at gmail.com. Put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the show. If you want to stay up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Pod. That's at P-O-D. I'm a little bit more active on Twitter, but Twitter is uh, currently on fire and rolling down the hill, so... I don't know. I don't know. We'll see what happens there. But for now, Twitter is the place to keep up to date with this show. And finally, uh, every single Friday, we have the Geek Explained Book Club, where I, alongside my amazing friends, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, currently, we are going to be this week tackling volume four. Four, count them, four of Ultimate Comic Spider-Man entitled Venom War. So there is a lot to look forward to. Miles Morales against Venom. You are going to want to be there. Spidey Fridays are a thing, so make sure you be there or be square, not a circle. But that's going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the character profile on Namor. Lots of stuff to talk about with that character, and I cannot wait to see him show up in the MCU this Friday as of this recording because I can't go watch it on Thursday Uh, I absolutely cannot wait for this movie hype is through the roof for it I am chomping at the bit to get in the theater and watch this thing and because of that next week is going to be directly impacted by it because with the release of Wakanda Forever Phase 4 is officially complete. We are closing the door on Phase 4, and so next week I will be ranking the entire phase. We're talking movies, we're talking Disney uh, Plus shows. I'm going to be ranking them from worst to best, so make sure you tune in for that. Next week, same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for the Geek Explained podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. I hope everybody is staying safe, and we will see you next time. Thank you.